This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals. The information presented is for general educational purposes only and should not be used as professional medical advice or for the diagnosis or treatment of medical conditions. The views and opinions expressed do not represent the views and opinions of our employer or any affiliated institution. Expressed opinions are based on scientific facts under certain conditions and subject to certain assumptions and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to the diagnosis or treatment of medical conditions or in any legal proceeding. Full terms and conditions can be found at portablebeads.com. And now onto the episode. Welcome to Portable Feeds, the Pediatric Board Review Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. And I'm Sam. And today we've got another great case for you on endocrinology, today about short stature. So let's jump right in. So a four-month-old female infant presents to your clinic for their four-month well-child check and to establish care. You note that their length measurement is greater than two standard deviations below the mean. On exam, you also appreciate hypotonia, dysmorphic features, including mid-facial hypoplasia with relative macrocephaly and frontal bossing, along with short, broad hands with increased space between the middle three fingers. This patient also has more prominent shortening of their proximal limbs compared to the rest of their body. Which of the following genetic tests would you expect to be abnormal in this patient? Is it A, genetic testing for shocks mutation, S-H-O-X? B, genetic testing for chromosome 15Q11 to Q13 deletions. C, genetic testing for FGFR3 mutation. D, karyotype. Or E, genetic testing for PTPN11 mutation. Take a sec to think about the answer, and we'll be back in just a minute. All right, so if you need to keep looking at the case, it's in the show notes. But the correct answer to this one is C, genetic testing for FGFR3 mutation, as this patient has achondroplasia. So short stature is generally classified as height greater than two standard deviations below the mean. A way to estimate normal growth rates in children is what we call the rule of fives. So this rounds down the growth rates by increments of five per year. So in the first year of life, you're expected to grow approximately 25 centimeters per year. This then decreases to about 10 centimeters per year until age 4, and then this then decreases to 5 centimeters per year until age 12. Length is typically used for measurement through age 2, and height is then preferred at age 3. Really, either can be used from ages 2 to 3 years old. This height velocity can obviously vary based on numerous factors, including pubertal status and gender, but these serve as general rules. Now first, let's go through some of the answers. So answer choice A, genetic testing for shocks mutation. So this deletion can lead to short stature due to SHOX deficiency. So shocks deletions on the X chromosomes are also more common than on the Y chromosomes. And because of this, this disease is typically more severe and frequently symptomatic in females. So growth failure is typically noted in early childhood as their birth length is usually only mildly reduced. Common presenting symptoms for shocks deficiency include disproportionately shortened limbs, so the extremity to trunk ratio is less than one negative standard deviation. Um, they also have what's called a made lung deformity of the forearm and wrist with spontaneous subluxation of the distal ulna. So the x-ray findings of this forearm will show three signs. One, it'll show triangularization, pyramidalization, and lucency of the distal radius. And you can just Google pictures if you need to see what that looks like. Again, it's a made lung deformity. Spelled like it sounds. Now, Sam, you want to take away with the next couple? 
Absolutely. So answer choice B is genetic testing for chromosomes 15Q11 through Q13 deletions. These microdeletions can lead to Prader-Willi syndrome. In cases, about 60%, defective genetic imprinting results in chromosomal deletion in the father. However, in about 35% of patients, this can be due to the inheritance of two copies of the chromosome 15 from the mother and none from the father. This is called maternal uniparental disomy. Typically, though, inheritance of abnormal chromosome 15 from the mother will actually result in Angelman syndrome. And also to note, Prader-Willi syndrome can occur in both males and females equally. Common presenting symptoms for Prader-Willi syndrome include hypotonia, dysmorphic facies, including a disproportionately long and narrow head, which is also known as dolicocephaly, developmental delay, short stature associated with reduced height velocity and accelerated weight gain, reduced muscle mass and increased fat mass, hypogonadism, and sleep apnea. It is recommended to refer for evaluation of sleep apnea, especially if you're treating Prader-Willi syndrome with growth hormone. This genetic mutation can be discovered by chromosomal microarray and fluorescence in situ hybridization analysis or FISH analysis. In addition, DNA methylation analysis can detect both microdeletions and uniparental disomy. In these patients, growth hormone treatment increases both height and height velocity, but more importantly, it can increase lean body mass, leading to improved body composition. It is suggested that early initiation of treatment with recombinant human growth hormone may provide greater benefit. And answer choice C is our correct answer, with genetic testing for FGFR3 mutation. So looking at achondroplasia, it's caused by the FGFR3 mutation, which is typically spontaneous in about 80% of patients. The rest is inherited from a parent. These patients exhibit disproportionate short stature with proximal limb shortening, which is also known as rhizomelic limb shortening. In these patients, full adult height is typically about 4 feet tall. Hypotonia is also common in infancy. Dysmorphic features in these patients include mid-facial hypoplasia with relative macrocephaly and frontal bossing, like we saw in our patient in the case, lumbar lordosis, and trident hands, which are short and broad with increased space between the middle three fingers, giving them a fork-like appearance, again, like we saw in our case. These children typically do well, but they do have motor delays, increased risk of otitis media, and lower leg bowing are common. Additionally, up to 5-10% to can develop hydrocephalus, craniocervical junction compression, and upper airway compression. However, cognitive deficits are not typical in these patients. And Ryan, do you want to take us through the last two choices? Sure. So one other note to make about achondroplasia is that craniocervical junction compression, if they have that, that does shorten their life expectancy. But if they don't have that, they typically have a pretty normal life expectancy. Oh, interesting. Okay, good to know. So as far as answer choice D, this was karyotype. So this is diagnostic for Turner syndrome. So on karyotype, you would expect to see the genotype 45X with partial or complete loss of the second chromosome X. Therefore, these patients will only present as phenotypically female. And again, the case has a female patient. Patients with Turner syndrome can present with disproportionate growth and skeletal abnormalities, including a short fourth metacarpal bone, shortened and webbed neck, broad chest with widely spaced nipples, also known as a shield chest, cubitus valgus, and genuverum. These patients also require referral to a cardiologist due to increased incidence of structural heart defects, most commonly bicuspid aortic valve and aortic coarctation. It's also important to note that aortic coarctation only occurs rarely in about 5-10% to of patients. Patients with Turner syndrome are also prone to gonadal dysgenesis and premature ovarian failure. Treatment with growth hormone therapy is a standard of care treatment for patients with Turner syndrome and short stature. And lastly is Noonan syndrome. So answer choice E was genetic testing for PTPN11 mutation. And this is the most common genetic defect for Noonan syndrome. This is present in about 50% of Noonan patients. 
Other genetic mutations can also include mutations in SOS1, which is about 10 to 13% of patients, RIT1 and RAF1, which are about 5% each, and CRAS, which is less than 5%. In either case, genetic testing confirms the diagnosis. However, a negative genetic testing does not exclude a clinical diagnosis of Noonan syndrome. Of note, this syndrome presents very similarly to Turner syndrome, but it can affect both males and females. In addition, the karyotypes in these patients will be normal. So again, Turner syndrome, only females, because you only have an X chromosome, uh, and their karyotype will be abnormal. But Noonan can be males or females, and their karyotypes will be normal. So for Noonan syndrome, they commonly present with normal birth weight and length, developmental delays, growth failure, and short stature, which is present in about 50 to 70% of patients, scoliosis and other spine abnormalities, Distinctive dysmorphic facies, of which you can look up the stuff for Turner and Noonan. They were pretty long, so I didn't list all of them here. And then broad and web neck. They can also have cubitus valgus, or outward deviation of the elbows. It's also very common for Noonan patients to have cardiac defects. About two-thirds of the patients will have heart defects with Noonan. Most commonly, this is pulmonary valvular stenosis. This happens in about 50% of patients. Atrial septal defect is the next most common, occurring in about 30% of patients with Noonan. And lastly is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, occurring in about 20% of patients with Noonan. However, it's important to note that in Noonan syndrome, most commonly these are solitary findings and most commonly do not happen altogether, although they certainly can. And lastly, the other symptom of Noonan syndrome is cryptorchidism. But that's going to do it for this week's case. Keep an eye out on our social media as we're having a survey coming out soon assessing your listener preferences and to make sure that we contribute to the medical education literature as to ways to improve medical education podcasting. But most importantly, congratulations on everyone who took their AVP boards this week. So we're releasing this as of October 16th, 2021, and the AVP Pediatric General Medicine exam boards were this week. So congrats to everyone who finished if you're listening to this after you took the exam, which Go, relax, you've earned it. But otherwise, thanks for listening, guys. And we'll be back next week with a review episode. Have a good week, guys. See you.